Hello, and welcome to All Roads Lead Here, a project documenting immigration stories, activism, resources, and immigration law. I'm your host, Daniel Roque, and I'm joined here today by my guest, Celine Ung. Hi, everyone. Hey, Celine, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me today. So if people didn't know, me and Celine went to the same school together. We were both in uh, the master's GPH program at NYU. Yep. I'm pretty sure we were in a couple of classes. We didn't really speak, but I'm glad we can speak now. Yeah, I think I don't remember seeing you in any other of the other classes, but I think it's because they were so big. They were really big, yeah. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then we had that last class, which was great because then we could actually, you know, have a discussion with everybody in class. It was so great, it was even nice. though COVID kind of cut it short. Yeah, I was bummed because it was actually a class that was something that or a class that I was looking forward to every week. It was fun. It was fun. But uh, just so you know, the structure of my podcast is just to you to tell a story, all right? So we're going to get started right now with the first question. So how old are you and where are you from? I'm 28 years old and I'm from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. What's it like over there? Oh, Kuala Lumpur is amazing because firstly, it is pretty much summer all year round. We're right on the equator. Malaysia is right on the equator. So we have summer weather all year round. Aside from patches of um, rain and monsoon, which isn't too bad now, but aside from that, the weather is great. The main other thing is that we have um, a lot of different races living together. Mm. So the three mean... Yeah, it's really multicultural. There are three main races in Malaysia in general. So Malays are the majority and then Chinese, which is what I am. So my ancestors or rather my grandfather was from China and they moved to Malaysia to have a better life for my dad and his siblings. Um, and then, you know, I was born. So uh, so we have Chinese and then we also have Indians who are the main three main races in Malaysia. But we also have um, a lot of other races that are smaller uh, minorities. Wow. Yeah. And okay. yeah, so, so when because we have so many races, it's just great because the food is great um, mm. and everything is fused together. So that's yeah. So that's a little bit that I think is so great about. So with so many different like races, I imagine there's not like an official language or is there an official language? There is an official language. So Malay is our official language, but okay. uh, we are taught Malay and English in schools. Um, and if you were to attend a, a school that is Chinese uh, or Indian Tamil specifically okay. uh, school, then you will also learn those two other languages. Um, I personally didn't. My parents didn't put me in one of those schools. So I grew up learning Malay and English uh, officially in school. But I also speak Cantonese with my family and a little bit of Mandarin with my friends. Wow, that's very interesting. I think uh, the U.S. could learn a lot from that because we have so many different like groups here, different races, different populations that speak different languages. But for some reason, it's never like, – we, we get taught Spanish in school, but it's not like anything – like in how it is over there. Oh, I didn't know you get taught Spanish in schools here, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, we do, but it's a very rudimentary, like a very rudimentary Spanish. Like it's like a, 
it's like intro to Spanish. It's not anything like, it's just like you learn Spanish in that class. There's not like a Spanish school. school. It's do just you, you learn from that? Oh, school. okay. But do you have to learn Spanish all through, like from like kindergarten all the way to high school, or is it just like certain times? It's it's certain times. It's not oh, okay. every every time. Okay, because we That's have to really learn both. I say it's really interesting because I'm a. Uh, it's crazy because my ancestors actually are well. I'm Dominican and Cuban, right?、Mm-hmm. But my Cuban ancestors they came from China. Oh. Yeah, a long, long time ago, like in the 1800s, and、uh, they came from. They also spoke Cantonese. Oh my gosh, that's、yeah. so interesting, and I'm. I cannot believe that you actually know that part of your. Yeah, it's a very.、Uh, Yeah, it's a very like a I don't know. It's just like a story. Like my family's been passed down.、Uh, a lot of Chinese、uh, individuals or people went to Cuba.、Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. So, what was life like back home before you came here? What were some daily memories you have of that time? Um. Well, I I grew up in Malaysia until I was twenty one, and I actually left Malaysia. Um, KL to go to UK before I came here.、Um, mm. So I was、uh, growing up in Malaysia was, I guess, just like <laughs> I, I mean, that's the only childhood that I I kind of know because everyone around me is like that. So I mean, I don't see how it's different, but I guess it might be.、Um, school is pretty much. Our everyday life, I. But I think、um, what's different is that school starts really early in Malaysia. So because we have summer all year round, so there isn't that weather barrier. So we start school at like seven twenty in the morning. Wow.、Um, yeah. So I have to be up by like five thirty six and then、um, go to school. And after school, we have a lot of like. Um, extracurricular activities because I mean my school's a little bit more strict about that, so、uh, we stay in school until like the late evenings.、Um, I was very active in my school choir, so some days before a competition, I would be in school from like seven in the morning till seven at night. So it's like twelve hours in school.、Wow. Um, yeah, and a lot of kids、um, in where I grew up, at least a lot of us. Have to go to extra tuition classes after school、um, to well, just catch because a lot of、uh, this sounds really bad,、um, but a lot of parents don't really trust the education system, and they also think that a lot of kids when they're in school they don't pay that much attention, and they want、yeah. to make sure that we are ready for、um, a lot of exams because we have a lot of exams. Um, national exams, and I know, like I know, here in the U.S., you you do your SATs, right?、Um, but we do three major exams that are run nationally throughout the whole country at the same time、um, when you're twelve, fifteen, and seventeen. So it really like it's very exam based.、Um, so a lot of parents want to make sure that、uh, you know you. The kids are ready for these exams because、um, it's very stigmatized.、Um, if you don't do well in school, even teachers would pay less attention to to the child. So, so that's why we do that. And、um, so a lot of 
people I know and I did as well. We have tuition classes probably up to like eight or nine at night. And then, yeah, and then we'll, we'll just go to bed. We'll do homework um, and go to bed. And we'll also have other extra activities uh, depending on your family, like your parents, what they, what they um, put you, what classes they put you in. But a lot of people play some kind of music instrument or do some kind of dance. So, yeah, it's a very jam-packed kind of um, childhood that I had. But it was a lot of fun. Do you like that system, like comparing it to here, right? Do you think it's better or do you think maybe uh, it is a little too much at times? I think they both have their goodness, um, if I can put it that way. I think growing up, it was a very disciplined environment. I grew up in a very, very disciplined environment, but that's also because my school is a very disciplined school. So I went to a convent school um, and the teachers are very strict. We have very, very strict rules. For example, one that I will probably not forget for the rest of my life is that because it's an all-girls school, most of us have long hair. We have to tie up our hair. And um, if you use a... You, you're only allowed to have either black or white colored hair ties. And if you use a black hair tie, when you use pins to make sure your hair is neat, because it has to be neat, it has to be the same color. Wow, that's <laughs> yeah. a little strict. <laughs> yeah, it's really strict. And you only, you're only allowed up to six pins. But with those six wow, pins, super you have specific. to... Mm -hmm, <laughs> it have to be a certain length. It's, it's crazy. And, but I think... Yes, there is a lot of fear, but I think growing up, we don't think about it as fear. We just think about it as respect. Like we respect our teachers. We walk by um, any teacher, we'll stop, we'll wish the teacher before we, you know, walk on. So there's a lot of respect um, that is translated in us. And I think that goes very far in life. I think when you have that respect for others um, and that humility, then when you go out to a workplace, with that respect, it really takes you uh, a step further yeah. and yeah so I think in that sense it's great um, it also teaches you to really really work really hard um, but I guess to your point it is a very strict um, structured uh, system which I think really dampens creativity so I think in that sense it would be better here yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, there's definitely the pros and the cons, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems very, I like the respect aspect. I feel like uh, teachers, for example, don't get enough respect here in the States. Mm -hmm. So what made you want to immigrate to the UK? Um, education. So my family is very, very particular about education. And um, mo both my parents didn't go to college. My dad didn't even finish high school. So to them, education is the key to a quote-unquote better life. Um, and in Malaysia specifically, it's somehow like, you know, if you have a certain degree, you are higher up in, in you know, you have a better status and people respect you and, you know, you could do a lot of things. Whereas if you were stigmatized, you don't have education, um, people look down on you. So it's a very Asian mindset where, um, status really really matters and your wealth really matters so uh, my parents are very particular with education so they really instilled in us me and my brothers 
um, on the importance of education. So that's why we had to grow up with all those tuition classes. Um, but to be fair, my parents weren't very strict compared to a lot of my friends. So I, you know, I could just say, I don't need this class. Um, I can cope by myself. So, and they would trust me. Um, but I know a lot of my friends didn't have that. So I moved to UK uh, during my third year of my, I, w- I guess it would be undergraduate um, studies, but it was a master's program. So I did four years of pharmacy school. So I did two years in Malaysia and I finished off my um, final two years in Nottingham in UK. So that was why I moved. And then after that, I just started training there and then working there. Um, so yeah, that was my KL to UK move. What was your life like in the UK? Because it seems like I'm, uh, especially you leaving such like a, a classist. I could, could I call it classist in Malaysia? Yeah, Is you can classist? say so. Yeah. Leaving a classist, uh, society into the UK. Was it like very, like a, was it like a culture shock? Was it different? Like, what was it like? There was definitely some adapting, I would say. And I think growing up, um, I cannot speak for other people, but for me growing up, it was like the whites are always better. Or I wouldn't say the whites. The Western world is always better than the Asian world. That was very, very much embedded in me. Um, So moving to a Western world, everyone back home would be like, oh, you know, your parents did so great. They could afford um, for you to, to move there. Because the other thing is that if, if my parents weren't able to uh, support my education abroad, then in Malaysia, if you are not uh, of a Malay descent, um, which I'm not, then there are certain quotas for getting into university. So if you, um, if the quota of the Chinese race, for example, have been full, and even if your grades are way better than somebody of another descent, of the majority descent, you do not get a place because the quota is filled. So, really? yeah, so it's really sad because a lot of us uh, work really, really hard, but then because of this structured, institutionalized racism, I would say, you, you don't get that opportunity. Um, but back to your question about the UK, yeah, it was a lot of adapting, but it was also a lot of finding my own self-confidence because like I said, like I grew up thinking that the Western world is always better. And yeah. a lot of times it's not. Uh, it's who you are. And yeah. I think um, I you started saying I should try and think about this as something that I would pass on to like future generations. So I really think that for the future generation, like honestly, the color of your skin or where you come from, it really doesn't matter. It's the qualities and values that you hold in yourself. Those are the things that would bring you far. And my dad always taught me this. And I think it's valuable that you need to remember that what you have, somebody else does not have. You may feel inadequate because you see them knowing certain things or having certain things, but bearing in mind that you have experiences that they don't have and they might feel the same way upon you. So, yeah, so it was a lot. The first two years over there, it was a lot of me sort of um, learning the system of like, you know, how trains work, the basic stuff and being um, 
you know, alone with family. Yeah, I had friends, but I didn't have family or parents with me, right? So yeah. you're just navigating like the social system. So like, you know, how to take a bus from here to here, how to, and I'm really bad with direction. So um, how to take the train, how do, how do I open a bank account? How do I figure out my phone lines? And I mean, I'm thankful that I, I had good English education. So I could navigate that well. Um, but yeah, after that, I think I sort of found that pace of life and understood how things worked. So it got a lot better and I had more confidence in myself and just understanding that, you know, even if somebody comes up to you and saying, do you speak English? Mm. That's not okay. Yeah, so it's not. it's not okay. And, you know, just finding that voice to you know, stand up to that instead of just laughing it off. Yeah. Did you, uh, going off that point and you talking about institutional racism. So it seems that like you really were aware of like the institutions, like the barriers, institutional barriers in the UK. Did you ever experience any personal racism in the UK? Yes. Or like little microaggressions? Oh yes, of course. Um, not as I was a student because I guess being a student, I, a lot of my Malaysian friends also uh, moved over at the same time because that's how the program worked. So, yeah. um, but I guess after that, because after we graduated, um, as a pharmacist in, in UK, after you graduate from your um, degree, you have to do a year of what we call pre-registration training, which I guess equivalents to a housemanship. Um, and in that year, we all went our separate ways. So we all went to different pharmacies, different hospitals to do our training. And that was when I guess I was really outside of um, my social circle because I didn't have any Malaysians with me. It was all Brits. And that was when, you know, you, you're kind of on your own. So yeah. people tend to target you a lot more. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I've had patients... Um, for example, like in, in during that year, I had patients who are, so in my pharmacy, we did a substance misuse program. So um, clients who were on replacement therapy for methadone or buprenorphine, they would come in and we would monitor their, their uh, supervise their consumption and note that. And, and that was part of my training. That was part of a lot of um, the services that were provided in pharmacies over there. So I've had patients come in and, you know, just sort of look at me and be like, ching, chang, chong, you know, they would say stuff like that to me. No way, really? Yeah, yeah. Um shit. Yeah, and then they would be like, I mean, half of them were drunk, so I, I can't really even be, me, be like pissed off about that. But they also say like, look at you and I'm like, oh, you speak English? Eng English? Like, like that, you know? And it would be really annoying, but I had really 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 great co-workers like they would step that's, up yeah that's i'm just sorry to cut you off but i'm just like really thinking like how how do you like it must be really strong how do you uh how do you provide health services to someone when they're like denying your humanity basically i guess i guess that goes back to my roots of you know remember i said how in malaysia in schools we respect our teachers yeah. a lot and sometimes it's to a point where whatever they say is right whatever you say is wrong 
um, it, it's very belittling to be fair. Um, but it also, I guess in a positive point of view, like I learned to constrain and restrain myself. So I know that at that point, like I rationalize that this person is probably drunk. Mm. Um, this person probably, even if they mean it, like I'm better than that. If I, if I went, um, and went ahead and, you know, said similar things to him or, um, I don't know, like, like just basically go against him and, and try to stand for my ground in the same aggressive way that makes me no, not any different from them. So I rationalize it that way that I am better than that. I am a healthcare professional. I'm in my position. It's my duty to serve you no matter what you say to me, because from my perspective, I am providing you care that you need and it's my duty and it's my responsibility. So if I don't do that, then I'm no longer, I mean, maybe if I wasn't at work, maybe I, if I wasn't in a position as a pharmacist, then that would be different. Yeah. But firstly, it's work, right? You, sometimes you just got to deal with um, whatever you got to deal with. But secondly, also because as a healthcare professional, you have a duty of care. It's your responsibility. Even if the person was really rude to you, that's just what you have to do. It's your responsibility and that's why you chose this path. So that was for me, like, it's why I chose this path to help and serve people who may or may not want it. But there, alas. Yeah, I mean, Celine, I got to say that's like one of the, you have so much fortitude and so much courage and so much strength to just like, you know, despite people being rude to you or racist to you that you still perform, you know? You still oh, do your duty, you. and that's, that's really admirable. Thank you. I want to move on and ask, uh, what was the immigration process like when you came to the U.S.? So, like, why did you come here, and, you know, what events do you remember from the process, stuff like that? Hmm. Okay. Um, before I moved, moved here, I, I have visited New York a couple of times um, on holiday. So... I guess my most, my earliest memory of immigration um, would be just obtaining a visa um, in the U.S. Embassy in London. And I personally was very impressed. It was very, very efficient. Everyone was, you know, they knew what they had to do. It was just like, it's like New York life. Like you hustle, you know, people move so, so quickly. And it's like, I guess in my head, it's always like, oh, when you go to a government service, sometimes, um, no offense to them, but, you know, in all honesty, sometimes it takes a long time. You yeah, go to the true. DMV, it takes a long time. Yeah. So, so <laughs> I thought it was going to take a long time and it's going to be a hassle, but no, it was very, very smooth. Uh, the whole process was very clear to me. Um, you know, you applied online, you went in you, for your fingerprints and there it's like, there, there are systems and processes that people were there to guide you through. So I thought that was very, very, very great. Um, and then I moved to New York uh, basically for, for the master's program. Mm. And the reason why I did that is because like, I, I really realized that as a pharmacist, I just simply couldn't counsel each patient one by one on their diet, on their lifestyle. It's just not efficient. And I felt like I could do more. And I want to do more, you know, so that's why I decided 
personal, like, you know, that kind of um, healthcare provision wasn't for me anymore. So um, coming here, I, I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but when you're at the airport and you're faced with the TSA, like, it's always scary. Yeah, it is. I'm, <laughs> it's I'm a always citizen. Scary. It's very scary. <laughs> I don't know why. It's like I'm like I have all my documents. I like I'm definitely know I'm I'm documented. There's nothing. I'm legal. Like there's nothing to be afraid of. But it's just scary. I guess I don't know. They're just intimidating for no reason. They just yeah. look mean. <laughs> yeah, but I I think as well. Like we spoke earlier about like fear of because of the current administration. Yeah, it's real. Like that fear is definitely real. Like I'm, even if you have all your documents, even if you have everything, like they have the right for no reason to just deny you entry or, or deny yeah. you anything, you know? And as an immigrant coming in, it's like, first, you, you know, you're excited, but you're also scared. Like, what if they don't let you in? You know? Yeah, what if, you know? Yeah, what if? But it's like, uh, yeah, immigration just, sorry to cut you off, but immigration just like, yeah, if they don't let you in, what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah, you're going to beg with them? Like, what are you going to do? It's probably going to be worse if you, like, try and negotiate with them. Yeah. So just hope for the best, I guess. Prepare yourself. Um, but it really helps, I guess, to do your research if you're, you know, thinking, I know we're sidetracking, but, like, anyone who's, like, coming into it, or even any country, like, even when I was in the UK, I had to change my visas, like, three times in UK throughout my time there uh, for five years. So do your research and know the you know, common questions that they ask and just prepare. Just be prepared yeah. for it. Yeah. That's a good little, that's a good, good little advice. Mm-hmm. So what are, your, uh, what are your goals for the future? Oh, it's funny you ask because, you know, we just graduated and a lot of people have been asking me and graduating at this time with whole, with COVID going on, it's just not, not ideal. Not um, ideal. And you think no. it would be because we're public health professionals. Yeah. Tell me about it. Not ideal. It's really stressful. Um, I don't think people understand how stressful it is, but you and I understand it. Yeah. Um, so right now I'm actually working on uh, extra certification to be a functional medicine health coach. Mm -hmm. So that's my goal. I want to have my own business. I want to, I mean, in an ideal situation, I want to be location free and financially free. Location free because my family means a lot to me and my friends mean a lot to me. And having moved uh, to different countries and cities for quite a few times now, I have friends and family everywhere in the world and they all mean a lot to me. And I was in a um, profession where holidays and vacations had to be planned a year in advance and it was very strict and your time, you know, it's your duty of care. I I get it, but it wasn't for me because I want to be able to spend a lot of time with my parents while they're still, you know, able and we can still travel around the world and I can hopefully afford for them to see this world because of everything that they've done for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to be that restricted. So f- I want to be able to work anywhere in the world so that I can just, oh, maybe today I feel like I want to spend the next three months um, in Malaysia with my parents. And I can, you know, 
I couldn't before. And I don't want, I don't want that ever again um, for my life. So I want to have my own online business. I want to, my main goal in the home business um, is to be able to help people reverse type 2 diabetes and mm-hmm. to live a happier and healthier life that's free of medication. I've seen so many people being restricted by that. It's such a complicated disease, but it can be solved with lifestyle um, interventions and proper support. Um, but that's just something the conventional medical and healthcare system doesn't support. So yeah, that's, that's my goal. That idea of freedom that you said, that you want to be able to travel anywhere, I, I, I relate to it so much because for a lot of people, they get a job and then you're stuck wherever that job is. Mm-hmm. But as an immigrant, I imagine like you don't want to just be stuck wherever the, mm-hmm. wherever the hell you are. Exactly. You've been to so many places. You've seen so many things. How could you want to be in one place for the rest of your life? Yeah, I think it's for me, like my motivation isn't even like, yes, it's, it's so great to be able to travel anywhere. Right. But my motivation is really to be able to spend as much time as possible, like quality time with my parents and my family um, back home or wherever they want to go, you know, and they might be still able to travel now, but who knows, you know, five years, 10 years down the line, they might not. And I want to be able to be there because I've missed yeah, like me moving answer. out. Yeah. Like me moving out from um, KL when I was 21 this is what seven years now. And in this seven years, I've missed so much and it sucks. So I don't want that. But at the same time, like I want to in future be able to live here, you know, but to be able to live here, I need to plan for that to happen yet. Not like, I guess, neglect that part of my life. Yeah. You being, you traveling so much, I imagine you miss so many different parts of a, like the, like places you've been, you know? Yeah. Like, imagine you have friends everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, like, I have friends in various parts of UK, even, like, I mean, the thought of even going back to UK, you would think it's just across the pond. No, because I have friends in London, I have friends in Nottingham, I have friends in Exeter, like, Cardiff, like, I have friends everywhere, and I want to see all of them. So, and, and it's, like you said, it's hard when, if you have one job and you're stuck in one position, it's just not possible. It's hard. Yeah. No, it's not. Yeah, I don't like that about jobs. I mean, for some, I guess it makes sense, but like others, not so much. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what was one of your first memories you had in the U.S.? Or what was a memory that like really stuck out to you? Oh, this one's so easy for me. The size of the food. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you guys, like the soda is just huge. I've never seen anything like that in my life, ever. Uh, distinctly American. Yes, and... I would wonder, like, I would always think, like, surely people, like, keep half of this portion for, like, the next meal. Surely, right? No. I just, you know, sat down in a restaurant and I looked across the table and they finished their food. I'm like, how do you, how do you stuff all that in you? Yeah. Um, so that was, yeah, that was my earliest and, I guess, most distinct memory. Hmm, that's a pretty good memory. It's a funny one. It is a funny one, but it's also very American. Okay, so uh, I have one final question for you. Mm-hmm. And it is, uh, if you could give one piece of advice to someone about to immigrate or maybe someone who's new to this country, what would it be? Don't be afraid. You 
you have every right to be here just like anybody else. Like you have the right to be here. You have the right to speak up for what you want. You came here based on a dream. You came here to improve yourself, to improve your life, your family's lives. So don't be afraid. Don't let any of the barriers that the system has set out to stop you from achieving that dream of yours. Because at the end of the day, like your life is yours. You make the best out of it. You only have this X amount of time in this world. And, you know, if if you're waiting, then I don't know what you're waiting for because today never comes back. And if you're not happy where you are, you're not a tree. You can move. Just move. That's really poetic. Thank you. <laughs> so, Celine, where can people find you? Um, so I'm really active on Instagram. So it's just my name, Celine Ung, C-E-L-Y-N-N-G. My website is also my name, CelineUng.com. And I also have a podcast. It's all about the conventional and non-conventional um, related health topics. So be sure to check it out. It's called Towards a Greater Life. It's in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. So yeah, I look forward to connecting with people. Yeah, I recommend all my listeners uh, to connect because she said some good things on her podcast. I was just on it. Oh, thank you. Really excited for that one. All right. Well, with all that being said, I want to thank you for sharing your story. That's all the time we have. And to our audience, remember, we're all immigrants from somewhere. Thank you. Thank you.